Hello and welcome to Voices in Innovation. My name is Johnny Baldisberger for GigaOM and I am your host. Today I am joined by two of our analysts, Andy Thurai and David Linthicum. Now, David, we had you on the show uh, fairly recently to talk about your report, The Key Criteria for Evaluating AI Ops. That's um, right. And that was just a little bit before we had Andy with us, who, as we mentioned on, uh, on I think, last week's show, uh, specializes in AI. So I thought it would be great to have both of you on so we could discuss AI ops together. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. That sounds good. That sounds good. Thanks, Johnny. Fantastic. Fantastic. So let so to get things started, let's start at the very top. What is AI ops? David, we had you answer this before. So Andy, why don't you give us your take on it? Yeah, so um, you know, the 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 whole concept notion of monitoring has been going on for a while, right? Now there's new concept of observability came up. So essentially what that is, is that it's not about just monitor the system to figure out what it is doing, but also get some insights on what can be done, whether it's form of automation or form of, you know, a manual runbook or a combination thereof. Learn something from the systems based on the system internals and behaviors and figure out a way to fix something that's going wrong, right? At a, at a higher level. There are specific use cases that you could go through that, you know, with the specific AOPS use cases, but that's, that's my take on it. David, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I think it's I mean, a couple more dimensions of this is that it uh, seems to be uh, a partly rebranding of existing monitoring and, and management solutions that are out there. So in other words, there's you know, what I call AI ops washing, where people are, in essence, renaming lots of things that were traditional modern, uh, monitoring and management. They're bolting on an AI engine, using it in a different way, in essence, spinning their products into the market. Uh, and there's good and bad reasons to pick those products. Uh, and then the other dimension of AI ops is kind of the new upstarts that are out there, built, built from the ground up, uh, purpose built, uh, with AI in mind and leveraging artificially intelligent systems as you know, kind of a force multiplier and how you do manage it and monitoring. So that's the only thing I'd add to Andy's uh, definition. Fantastic. Now, when we last did this episode, uh, when we were talking about AI ops, you had just written the key criteria report. The uh, radar wasn't out yet. Uh, and for those of you unfamiliar, uh, first of all, you're not taking my advice. I tell you to check them out every episode, but uh, there's these reports go hand in hand. The key criteria, which tells you the basics of the technology, and then the GigaOM radar, which really delves into the vendors in that space. Uh, there are 13 vendors on your GigaOM radar and I was curious how you go about picking which ones to include and which ones to exclude. Um, well, I mean, ultimately, it's people who participate in briefings and are willing to educate us on their products. Um, that's, that's a way to be included. Um, you know, it's not something to, you know, just kind of write something about that, you know, they don't have an opportunity to work with us that on. And the other thing would be popularity in, in, the, uh, in the enterprise. In other words, uh, I'm a practitioner. I work with uh, Global 2000 organizations and moving them to cloud. And in these projects, you see different tools repeatedly over and over. I mean, the Dynatraces, the Moogsofts, the Microfocuses, things like that, other, other tools as well. So that kind of narrows it down. And then 
also really who's positioning themselves in the space. Um, something may look like an AI ops tool, but if they don't position themselves as an AI ops tool, then there's no reason to include them. You know, I guess we'd have to bring them in kicking and screaming. But typically the vendors out there that have good products, um, that have great technology, want to be involved in these reports because Number one, they want to get data points back from how they're doing relative to the market. And number two, it's kind of free advertising out there for them. The ability to kind of sit and look and see these things and look at the criteria of these things, where they fit, where they don't fit. And keep in mind that the purpose of the report is really to tell you not what the best tool is, but what tool fits certain situations. You know, if you have many legacy systems, this tool has a tendency to be better. If you have different integration, different databases, this tool has a tendency to be more data oriented. This tool is more better at self-healing. This tool doesn't support self-healing, but it's really good at analytics. And those sorts of things are helpful when people are making selections. And so, you know, this is not about, you know, picking an editor's choice. This is about giving people a framework for understanding a very complex technology. Fantastic. Now, uh Last time we were on the show, and I keep saying last time on the show, but we talked about some use cases. Specifically, we delved into farm equipment, which was really interesting. Uh, Andy, what examples of AI ops in the wild, in the field, have you seen? What use cases for AI ops have uh, been notable in your career? So, you know, when it comes to AI ops, it's, it's basically applying AI into IT operations, right? I mean, it used to have a different name and then, you know, because Gardner called it, everybody wanted to call this. So essentially applying AI into IT operations, right? So in that, there are, there are quite a few use cases. There are main core use cases and there are some fringe use cases. So when it comes to main use cases, um, I would say the very important ones are things such as anomaly detection. Uh, for example, you know, if, if a system is supposed to behave in a certain way, and it is not behaving in a certain way. For example, you know, it's supposed to trend this way uh, and taking into consideration of your, you know, weekly, daily, for example, you know, daily in the morning at nine o'clock, the system overloads, not everybody checks email. Or on a Monday, something happens. So it should intelligently understand the trending and patterns. And then it has to look for uh, anomalies within the system saying that, you know what, it's supposed to trend this way, but it is not. So there's something with, wrong with the with the application, then you have to, you know, it has to give an intelligent alert for you to take a look into that. So that's one, right? And the the other one is um, uh, what I call it as a more of a, either a situational understanding or a holistic view. Uh, so, for example, you know, we we over the course of the years we've built things like you know uh, APM application performance monitoring, and then there's network monitoring, there's infrastructure monitoring, and then there's this your term of you know DEM or digital experience monitoring. Uh, so what AI ops gives you is that you know combine all of these alerts into one and gives you a complete view. Um, you know taking into a situation if if supposing your application is running across clouds, whether a multi-cloud or a hybrid cloud situation, go along all of that and give you a view of you know what's happening if your database in a certain location, let's say in your data center and portions of application, one cloud and another cloud, taking into complete view on what's happening across the locations, give you an intelligent view, right? Um, and then of course, you know, you can automate that and then do self-feeling and things like that on an advanced use case. But those are some of the basic use cases in my mind. One thing we've seen 
is that a lot of enterprises are shying away from the cloud due to cloud security. You know, uh, security is chief concern for everyone out there, right? Uh, it can make or break your business fairly quickly. So how can AI ops help with uh, cloud security and an enterprise's concerns? Uh, David, let's start with you. Yeah, the big thing is integration. We looked at that as a key criteria in the report, you know, connectivity to other tools, including security and governance. And so keep in mind in many instances when you're under attack that the security system may not see the attack vector. In this case, it could be saturation of performance on a CPU, saturated performance on a storage system, saturation uh, performance on a database. And the AI ops tools are able to externalize that immediately and immediately send that information to a security system, which can suddenly kick an event off to basically set off a chain reaction of things it's able to do to defend itself automatically. You know, even shutting down that IP address that's offending the system. DDoS attacks are the biggest ones that I see out there. So that's number one. Yeah, number two, working and playing well with governance systems and having those governance systems work and play well with the security system has a huge advantage. You know, take for, take for instance that um, you're not allowed to leverage a certain number of C CPU cycles and, st and storage blocks in a certain amount of time um, because we don't want to pay the bill. And so if you have a cost governance tool that's looking at that, then you're going to be able to, in essence, monitor the usage of those systems. But there's other aspects of that as well. In other words, we may not be able to see the billing from those systems until we get information back from the, uh, from the cloud provider. And AI ops tools are able to see what those things are doing in real time and report that information back to the cost governance tool, which reports that information directly to the security system. So we don't get these $100,000 Amazon bills that I'm hearing about out there. And so as we're, you know, going through the pandemic, you know, enterprises are in defensive mode because quite frankly, their cloud bills have almost doubled in size as the remote workforces have moved out there and for good reason. But the ability to have all these things orchestrated together, working together to provide better security, to provide better governance, to provide better uptime management and monitoring is really the key end state here. Um, you're never going to find one tool that does everything. And you're going to have to have these things work and play well together. Uh, part of the pandemic, uh, working from home, of course, is dealing with the background noise of uh, a family that is schooling from or also working from home. Uh, Annie, do you have anything to add on uh, on AI ops and security? Yeah, so... Um... Th those are good points, David Rice, right? Um, one of the things you could, um, I would probably add on top of that is also, you could integrate those tools with your enterprise identity management systems as well. So suppose if, if somebody who's not, you know, try to, somebody's trying to, some identity is trying to launch um, container, launch an application, or trying to move the applications around, um, these things you can, you know, monitor as a holistic thing saying that what's happening with the application you know, or have a dormant container sitting in there. So you can integrate them into that overall operations view as well. So it'll give a holistic view, right? Good points. I feel like um, IT ops folks are, are kind of stressed out right now. Well, to be fair, everyone is a little bit stressed out right now. Uh, it's a stressful time, but particularly uh, incidents have gone 
way up. Uh, you know, IT ops is a stressful job. Uh, is AI ops going to help with that or is it going to add to the headache? I mean, ideally any tool helps, right? Uh, but the reality is sometimes tools can be more of a hassle uh, than they're worth or they may add new problems. Overall, is AI ops something that's going to be a net positive that's really going to make the job easier or is it just going to change the kinds of headaches we're having? Yeah, that's a great question, Johnny. I think really the jury is out for the majority of what the functionality is gonna be and how it's gonna add value to the enterprises. We do know that automation and the ability to automate effectively and remove the human beings from actually dealing with the day-to-day real-time operations of the system is a good thing because that's how they're gonna get frustrated because the tool's not necessarily helping them they're spending all their time trying to learn and configure the tool and automate and re-automate and figure out self-healing capabilities, all these other things that are going on. So good news is we've been doing management and monitoring for a long time. And there's tools out there, you know, BMC, you know, HP OpenView are examples of, of old legacy tools that are being modernized to basically play in this space. And so when we get into the modernization, it's no longer somebody sitting in a operations center that's staring at, uh, you know, 20 different screens like, the, you know, the Starship Enterprise uh, deck. Um, but the ability to, in essence, have a, a business that's completely dark and have something using an automated system that's aided by an AI capability to take care of things, reset servers, uh, we just talked about a breach attempt, uh, the ability to understand identities, the ability to work and play with different systems. And we're so, we're really getting to, it should be the objective, and I tell my clients this all the time, to a lights off kind of an environment. And so in other words, we are gonna have ops. I mean, the, the thing of no ops went around for a while, but the thing is, we're gonna have people who are gonna focus on operations, but they're not gonna look at screens and be able to react to red, you know, uh, green things turning red. They're gonna basically be part of the DevOps team. They're gonna be automating automation, uh, excuse me, automating operations the ability to continuously improve operations going forward. They're probably gonna have uh, anywhere between three to 10 tools that they're gonna understand and know to make that stuff happen. And ultimately, we're gonna get to a point where we don't need all the operations teams anymore. The operations team should be reduced and we can you know, repurpose them for other things, uh, certainly playing in DevOps organizations. So that's kind of my pragmatic take on it. Andy, how do you feel? Yeah, so <clears throat> one of the things um, that uh, a lot of enterprises struggle with is particularly most of the enterprises uh, in the, uh, let's say, you know, the governance industries like uh, finance, healthcare, and, you know, energy and whatnot, they're not going to move to cloud 100%, uh, you know, whether, you know, we can talk about it until cows get home, but it's not going to happen, right? So when they have a data center and a private cloud and possibly a public cloud for some of the operations, how do you bring them all into one fold uh, without having a siloed operation? If you don't have it, then it's gonna increase the stress more than what you already have by distributing the applications everywhere. That's issue one. And the secondary one is also when they're trying to implement and select a tool, after doing all the analysis, uh, later on, they'll find out, oh, you know what? It doesn't cover a specific cloud or it doesn't cover maybe my data center location. So if you're looking or having only a partial visibility, you're basically making decisions based on a partial view, which in itself could be a problem. And the third point would be probably, I would say, you also have to look into the, the um, implementation time per se 
right? If the tool, what you choose, takes about two years to implement as opposed to eight weeks or two months, it's a totally different story because if you spend two years in implementing it, by the time everything would have changed. So, you know, and, and, and the last point would be if you are looking at a specific tool, whether it's AIOps or something else, you have to look at your specific use cases. Don't try to boil the ocean. Don't look at, you know, I need to have all the 20 use cases of AI ops. Look at which ones are really important for you. Yours important, what is important for you may not be a core use case for AI ops. So choose a tool that's a right fit for you rather than going with the best of the breed tool. Thank you both. Now, I want to talk just for a second about <clears throat> telemetry. Right, it's it's a big deal right now. Um, I have a note here that says it's the second largest CNCF project uh, around, but a lot of vendors, both in the GigaOM radar and kind of the AI ops space in general, uh, are not really engaged in it. Do you think that's going to change? Do you think there's a reason they're not engaged in it? What do you think is going on with that, uh, David? Yeah, I think it's a bandwidth issue. I mean, one of the things in as my time as a product C CTO, and I, I did that for about 20 years, is at any given day, you have about 10 things you can be doing to improve the business, including chasing standards, chasing markets, you know, chasing different features and functions that people are asking for in the product. And you have to make core decisions in terms of what you can and what you can't do. So I suspect those decisions are being made within these companies. They have so many feature function things that the um, their customer base is demanding be put in the tool that if they start spending money on chasing a standard, which may pay out big or may not pay out, you know, if you remember OpenStack and CloudStack and, you know, all these other things that kind of, you know, were a big deal for a couple of years and they just kind of faded away. Um, they're probably not as bullish on leveraging standards right now. And so there's something interesting there. I'm sure they have probably a paper and a presentation to talk to it if it comes up in the discussion with a client. Uh, but this may be something you're just going to wait and see if it succeeds or not. Andy, do you have any thoughts on, uh, on telemetry? Um, in my view is that it, it's picking up pretty fast, picking up steam pretty fast, right? Because um, what happened is a lot of companies wanted to go that route, particularly open telemetry route, um, you know, almost like monitoring tools such as uh, Prometheus and others have become popular, very popular, that almost everybody wants to integrate with their tool set, right? And um, um, there are enterprise companies which doesn't want to include that. Could be because they are such a closed system. They are having a hard time in integrating with it. As David was saying that, you know, they have to have a certain amount of things they need to do. This may not be even on their top list, top 10 list, right? So that could be one issue. The other issue could be also, um, I call them as a data hoarding companies. They will just, they don't want to share data with anyone else. They want to keep it themselves. And they think that by that sense, you know, they'll have a vendor lock in with them. Uh, so that could be another issue. But most of those other companies, um, that particularly in the logs and tracing and metrics, seem to be adopting open standard fairly fast. And there are companies that are entirely built on it, companies like Logs.io, right? So it, it's becoming popular again, uh, you know, one has to wait and see a few years to see if this is going to be completely adopted or it's going to die a slow death. I don't have an answer to that yet. You know, I've uh, we've mentioned the idea of companies really having to be open to sharing some of their data 
uh, for fields in technology to grow uh, more. I've talked to that with David, with Ned, with Chris. It's just a, it's just a fact of the matter is no company really wants to share their data because it's proprietary. Uh, but at the same time, without that shared space, without that shared knowledge, without that data, it's really hard for AI to grow at the rate that it could otherwise. Now, uh, we started this show with having Andy explain what AI ops is. I'm going to end the show on a similar note uh, because I've already talked to you about this, David. Andy, what is the future of AI ops? Where is it headed? Oh, why? Okay. <laughs> Um, that's a tough question. I, uh, you know, uh, honestly, I don't know because things, uh, honestly, what I think will happen or should happen, my personal view would be that, you know, all of the, the APMs, the digital monitoring, the infrastructure monitoring, all of them need to come together. And also all the cloud monitoring, cloud ops should all come together. So in other words, in order to do an agile development, the DevOps and the AI ops and everybody will you know, exist in a harmony together. All I need to have is that one operations team that will have a complete entire visibility and one development team that will have a complete entire visibility. That would be my ideal goal that I wish should happen, but probably would record another version of this podcast five years down the road, we'll still be talking about the same issues. So, so I, I don't know how it's gonna progress. That, that's where I, I think it should progress. Uh, I don't know. Fascinating stuff. Um, David, you are everywhere. You have books out. You teach classes on LinkedIn Learning. Uh, you're active online. Where can people find, follow you in, and kind of join a discussion if they, if they want to? Well, first and foremost, got a gigom.com because that's uh, uh, not not just the sponsor of this podcast, but also where you know the deep information is stored. I mean, Andy and I, you know, work tirelessly on these reports. They take many hours of analy- uh, analysis and you know, getting briefings and trying to understand them and really kind of decipher them into something that's going to be consumable by, by enterprise IT folks that have to make real decisions that could be you know good to the lifeblood of the business. If you look at the ability to leverage, you know, cloud computing and other technologies, force multipliers, you know, that's the best place to go. Um, other places to go would be InfoWorld. Um, I enjoy writing for them. I've been writing for them for 15 years and post there twice a week. Uh, and the ability to go to things like Tech Targets, uh, they're a pretty good resource. Um, and then also Tech Beacon. Actually, Tech Beacon is kind of a cross between InfoWorld and GigaOM because they, they use long form articles. And so they'll do 1500 word, 3000 art, 3, word articles where you can get into the meat of things, uh, you know, versus InfoWorld, which is just gonna be, you know, 500 words at most uh, to get a blog post because everybody, you know, kind of has ADD out there. Um, I also look at LinkedIn. I look to see where the news is going. I check out other uh, publications like Cloud Tweets, Tweaks, sorry. Uh, cloudweeks.com, Information Week, uh, and there's some great authors there that, that always write some uh, great stuff around how things are going. And then also, uh, one of the latest things is YouTube, the ability to kind of go out there and, you know, start following some channels with people who are monitoring just different aspects of the market. And uh, that's a great place. That's a great resource as well. There's, it's like drinking from the fire hose these days. And it's all free. 
not too long ago i had an interview with a with a woman and i was talking about getting your name out there and you know growing your brand and first thing she said to me was youtube it's the uh she described it as the largest search engine in use nowadays so it's a it, it can definitely be a fantastic source andy where can people find you well you know obviously they could find me on linkedin and as well as uh, on twitter as an uh, andy Torai. Or, you know, um, we are both, like David said, we are on uh, GigaOM website. If they want to, you know, schedule a briefing, talk to us to understand. I mean, th that's the thing, right? We offer service to both sides of things. If a vendor wants to talk to us, tell us what they're doing, we're willing to listen. If an enterprise company is, is willing to come and talk to us and that, hey, you know, we wanted to know how to do this right. Can you help us out? We're willing to talk to them as well. So those are the ways we can reach out. I have a Absolutely. YouTube channel as well, but that's uh, very minimal followers. <laughs> it always starts somewhere, Andy. Always starts somewhere. <laughs> Everyone, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, as both of these analysts has men have mentioned, uh, GigaOM is a fantastic resource where you can check out our blogs, obviously this podcast. Uh, we have videos. And you can buy a report such as the key criteria for evaluating AI ops or you can subscribe to the full body of research that we have on TAP, which is at this point, hundreds of reports written by incredible analysts like David, like Andy, like Enrico, Ned, and Chris, all names and practitioners in their field. For all of your future forward advice, you should really check out gigaohm.com. For GigaOM, I'm Johnny Baltusberger, and this has been Voices in Innovation. Mm -hmm.